Well, good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, being with all of us tonight in one spirit and one mind. I'll be in Romans 14 tonight, so if you'd like to turn there, if you have your Bible by chance, we will begin there shortly. This is going to be a brief message tonight, but it really is a kind of a culmination of what I've talked about in weeks past uh, and what we've participated in thus far since we've uh, come out of you know, Christmas tide and where we're headed as Christians as we have started the Lenten season. So let me ask you this. Whatever your innermost desire is, whatever your innermost um, uh, longing or the burden that's weighing most heavily upon you, whatever that might be, my question is, if God were to grant you your prayer request to a T, I mean, grant it exactly how you would like it, what do you think that would do for you? How would you feel? I imagine probably elation, joy, relief. I wonder for some of us, it would be like gulp, you know, like, oh boy, now I better not waste this gift that God gave me. We call that stewardship, of course. Well, one of those things is, is that if we want something, how bad do we want it? That's what separates us from time to time, right? As Christians is how bad do we want the thing? And as we have now started Lent, we were reminded on this 40-day journey commemorating what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross is that he wanted reconciliation with humanity so well, so much, that he was willing to die for it. So whether you're waiting for your next breakthrough or you're wanting to be free from a burden or trying to pursue a new tier, a new new commitment with God, how bad do you really want it? What are you willing to do? Remember that your brothers and sisters that surround you in your life have their own pain and burdens that they pray could be lifted, along with desires and wishes that they wish could come true and be fulfilled. Well, since we are reminded during Lent what Christ did to be reconciled with humanity, not for his sake, mind you, but for ours, he had nothing to repent for, but yet went to the cross so that his outstretched hand could gather everyone back into the fold. What is holding you back? What is holding me back? If you're still allowing God to have 99% of your life, you will never be 100% satisfied. It's just that simple. And here is the most beautiful part about all of this is that we do not have to do it alone. None of this journey is done alone. In a vacuum, we're not left on an island, left to our own devices. Obviously, God is with us, but I hope and pray that you're a part of a church community like the one at my church, one at our church, anywhere. It could be the community church in North Adams. It could be somewhere else. That you have fellow brothers and sisters who love 
and cherish you and want to do well for you. Now, at this time, I'm going to read a passage out of Romans 14 from the NASB, which is my favorite translation of, of Scripture. And I'm going to read this in the context of this is what is entitled Principles and Conscience or Helping Out the Weak and the Strong. It's a reminder to those, whatever your fasting journey, whatever you are giving up for Lent, whatever that is, that's between you and God. We ought not to judge what God has called others to do. But it's a reminder of what we're responsible for and to as fellow brothers and sisters. So starting at verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stubbing block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord, Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. A lot of stuff going on in this passage. It certainly can deserve its own breakdown for sure. But it's a reminder that we don't do this for ourselves. We have our own convictions before God. And, and mind you, this is written to a community that's, that's entrusted with actively pursuing God, that has a relationship with him. It's not just somebody who's committed, not for some people who are committed once or twice a year. These are committed, fasting, praying, uh, godly-seeking people. And so 
you're entrusting your fellow brother and sister with their convictions. But if if what I'm doing causes somebody else to, to really question their faith and really question it, then I need to acquiesce that. I need to lay that aside for the sake of my fellow brother or sister. And so whatever you're fasting, it's not always going to be equal. You might think to yourself, oh, well, someone's given this up. Like, well, who are they? Don't worry about it. Be concerned with you. Now, this is different, obviously, if this is a community of people that aren't really seeking after God. That's a little bit different. We have room to rebuke each other. But if there's this trust amongst us Christians, hopefully we can experience God all in the same way. And this also goes into our other behavior. What if there's a behavior that's a stumbling block to somebody else in their faith? Are you just going to say, well, that's their problem. I, I have no part to play in that. Well, Paul likes to say otherwise. And I'd like to close, if I could, on this one passage that is written to us um, on this, that looks like it's a commentary on this particular uh, passage in Romans 14 from Oswald Chambers. And it says, You um, shall be witnesses um, to me as I am my brother's keeper. That's what this is from. Am I my brother's keeper by Oswald Chambers? None of us lives to himself, he says. From Romans 14, he quotes that what I just read for us. Has it ever dawned on you that you are responsible spiritually to God for other people? For instance, if I allow any turning away from God in my private life, everyone around me suffers. We sit together in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 2. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, according to 1 Corinthians 12. If you allow physical selfishness, mental carelessness, moral insensitivity, or spiritual weakness, everyone in contact with you will suffer. But you ask, who is sufficient to be able to live up to such a lofty standard? Our sufficiency is from God and God alone. That's from 2 Corinthians 3. You shall be witnesses to me. Acts chapter 1. How many of us are willing to spend every bit of our nervous, mental, moral, and spiritual energy for Jesus Christ? That is what God means when he uses the word witness. But it takes time, so be patient with yourself. Why has God left us on the earth? It is simply to be saved and sanctified? No, it is to be at work in service to him. Am I willing to be broken bread and poured out wine for him? Am I willing to be of no value to this age or this life except for one purpose and one alone, to be used to disciple men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ? My life of service to God is the way I say thank you to him, for he is an expressibly wonderful salvation. Remember, it is quite possible for God to set any of us aside if we refuse to be of service to him. He ends by quoting 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Hmm. We're responsible to others for the sake of Jesus. It's a very humbling thing, very convicting thing. So as you go throughout Lent and navigate these seasons, I want you to hand over your life to Him. And I also want you to be thinking about how can I play a greater part in the other people in my life? How can I sacrifice for them too? May God bless you. May God keep you.